everybody out there in the big, big room. We're back. We're back in the big, big room. We are the H-Herd. Oh, no. That made me feel really embarrassed. <laughs> right away. Like we're an improv troupe saying our name. Yeah, yeah. Something bad. I felt it in my forearms. <laughs> I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, I'm Becky. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I've asked this question to audiences before, but do you get the feeling in your arms, like when you copy and paste something in your computer, can you feel it in your arm until you paste it? No. I can. And I've Feel asked, it in your arm? Yeah, like, so the piece of text, it's not the specific text, but I know there's something there because I feel it in my arm until I paste it and I've released it from the inside of my arm. Whoa. But I like asked, a, I've asked this to audiences and people have said, yes, I feel that too. Huh. And you you mean like improv audiences? Yeah. You're you're not getting a response when you speak to the audience on this show, are you? Um, a couple of people told us that we messed up Fahrenheit and Celsius once. <laughs> a couple of people. I had someone say everyone noticed. <laughs> Wait, for real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course everyone noticed. It's a ludicrous yeah. mistake. It was a dumb mistake. So someone, wait, what other way to be like, everybody knows that you guys are idiots? <laughs> no, they didn't go out of their way. Oh. <laughs> it's all right. By They're the way, now. everybody's Hi. talking about. <laughs> yeah, everyone's talking about. <laughs> you guys are, well, you know what? Fair enough. There's not that much to talk about right now. Gossip has been reduced to like phone calls late at night with your adult friends. Yeah, there was a, there, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I was on a Zoom call and, uh, they, uh, I went away for a second and then they came, I came back and they pretended that they were talking about me and they were like, oh, quiet, quiet, he's back or whatever, you know, that fun joke. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how we got to this specific thing, but it was like, oh, there is a story and I like, I, I like had one in mind that they would have been talking about. Okay. You know, has that ever happened to you where you're like, oh, I know the thing that it must be that you specific people are talking about about me, but oh. of course not. No one cares about that stuff. I have too many options. <laughs> everything about okay. me is terrible and any, everybody hates me and everything. They could be saying all of that every time I turn my back. I think strangers are laughing at me sometimes. Okay, okay. So I... it, it would just be like, we hate her, we hate her, we hate her. Oh, she's back. <laughs> Stop talking about her. Just, yeah, just, just like unmitigated rage about how horrible and disgusting I am all the time. Yeah, but let's pretend that we don't think that at all when she gets back. Well, I haven't been invited on really any Zoom calls, so people do hate me, Dan. Oh, wow. I haven't been invited. Jeez. I had to I had to send out this invite. So let me tell you, it does work. I just heard you feel the hole that you dug yourself in because I wasn't invited and I'm your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's that hole feel? You're in it. Oh, it feels like you're in it. <laughs> it feels, um, looking up here, I feel like I'm above you and I'm still very lonely and very hurt. <laughs> yeah, and I wish I was in that hole too. Yeah. Can we squeeze into a hole together? <laughs> uh, here we are. Month two. Month two. And can I, uh, can I present my anxiety of the day? Uh, yeah, here's the theme song. do 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 all anxiety right, so of the day. Welcome. My anxiety of the day is the shifting tone that I'm sensing, that I'm kind of tasting uh, in the articles, particularly in Canada, because Canada is what pertains to me the most. Yep. Um, the shift in tone towards uh, reopening and restarting. Are you are you getting any of this? Okay, I'm getting a little bit of it, but 
I, I, it's so the American and Canadian stuff is so intertwined in my sort of intake. I haven't untangled them yet. So what okay, do you well, what are you getting? What are you feeling? My my what I'm getting is that it's from the American. It's from the White House in this 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 thing of like we can restart even though it's the worst it's ever been there. Um, so it, that in sort of insane poisonous mentality feels like it's infecting the Canadian media landscape as well, where people are like, okay, like that's crazy that he said that, but also like, maybe it could work. Like that's kind of how it feels in articles I'm reading here because they're like, the first 25% of the article is like, we did it. And then like about a quarter of the way through, it says, now we can't claim victory and we need to stick to our guns. It's like, but you did spend the amount, all the energy off the top. The hook of the article is we did it and we can think about restarting now. Yes. We can can plan it. This is also the classic problem of Canadian self-congratulation. That it's a problem because you don't really look at the deeper issues. Like, there's so much that's going on right now that's bad so much and we should be taking this time to keep sitting in it and assess all of the structures that are breaking down in this country too yes and instead it's like maybe we can get you know antibody testing yeah because i think i think that what we're starting to see is how appealing it would be to just forget all this happened you know, like, yeah. imagine, imagine we could just be free. Like, I think that is such a compelling idea to most people that it is going to cause large swaths of forgetting. Um, we will forget. I am starting to feel that. Yeah. We always forget. We do. We um, do. And yet... Because it's, it's so much easier to never have lived through it. So we'd rather forget. This is like... Yeah, this is like... um... We want to stabilize the boat. But here's the thing, though, Dan. Like, I think that this is... There's a part of this that... In human nature that's important to our survival. Because, like, if you just see how horrifying the life is all the time, we we wouldn't be able to operate. Uh Uh-huh. So I think there's something in us that's like, okay, the tiger just pounced at you. It really cut you up. But you're alive. Move on. Probably don't go near tigers again. But, like, don't think about the tiger too much. Yeah, and can I mention Tony Mendoza for a second? Please. Uh, so he was a former guest. Yeah, great, great story uh, about his like father and grandfather and stuff with Cuba, etc. And and um, there was something. There was a phrase he used about uh, the grandson wants to live in what the grandfather wants to forget, or something like that. Right. Yeah. This feels like that's that's applicable here in the sense that of like you know. Um, uh, two generations later after like a war or something, it's like, I want to hear grandpa's war stories. And it's like, he doesn't want to think about it. And growing up, you look at that as kind of a weakness, like a sad kind of like, oh, yeah, uh, he can't hand, he can't face it or whatever. And but what, it's like, and what there Tony, is, oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no. And what Tony was talking about was that his father had moved from Cuba. And so like, he wants to understand this, but his dad's like, I don't want, I want to leave that stuff behind. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm just like starting to see how that can happen. Just, you know, watching it f- bloom like a flower in my own real life where it's like, oh, I see. I see that people see freedom in forgetting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, this is interesting because this sort of relates to my hopeful. My hopeful, right. my hopeful this week is quite complicated, but it's 
if we're talking about forgetting, um, I have been thinking about remembering a lot this okay. this week. Um, so there's that like maybe it was yesterday. There's that like hashtag on Twitter of me at twenty, mm-hmm. which is wonderful because if you don't use all caps, it's just meet twenty. Yeah, which I like a lot because you know we should confront the fact that we're all meat um, mm-hmm. right now. This was twenty year old meat. Yeah, and now it's aged forty two year old yeah. meat. Um, yeah. but it, you know, so me at 20 was photos, hard copy photos and photo albums. So I went through my photo albums and I was having this great, you know, further down the nostalgia path. Um, we were talking about nostalgia in the last episode and I have a problem with it. Cause I think that thinking the old times were the best is really dangerous, but the experience I had going through albums and looking at all my old friends. And there's people who it's like, this is a picture from over 20 years ago. And that person who doesn't live in the same city is one of the people who out of the blue texted me when all this shit happened. Um, Thank you, Hayden Baptiste. If you're listening, you probably aren't. And it made me think that looking back can also help us remember who we are. Mm. And, as we're having sort of conversations right now, or I am personal conversations about like what's important in our lives and being confronted with that, looking back and going, well, there was something about that idealistic young woman that I don't, that that is helping me get through this. And also I don't want to lose. And I want to kind of focus on her a little bit more. And she's still in there. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway. So as far as hope goes, I don't know why this is making me really sad too right now. Or not sad. It's making me want to cry. I don't know if that's sad. My emotions are all over the map right now. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me want to cry. And I don't know if that's sad. (laughs) I don't. I don't in general, but I'm like, well, I'm just crying now. Um, I think it's just, there's a lot of weight with having been through a lot of time. And anyway, but like looking back on these photos from when I was like in Northern California in the late nineties and there weren't cell phones. And certainly I'm like, that was really uncomplicated in certain ways. And when you're younger, it always is. But also I'm like, there's so much about you, you jettison the stuff that's not important, but it's also easy to kind of forget really good things about yourself and your friends. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, that was a time of a lot of young people, you know, it was when I was young. So it's young people coming together, making stuff, trying to put useful messages out into the world. And I, and interestingly, I'm seeing so much of that again, like the internet's being used kind of as it was intended. I miss web 1.0 a lot. Mm. <laughs> like it was a different feeling. It felt like an open um, comment. It was a, a lot more idealistic. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's being used that way when Twitter came out, it's like we can use this for activist causes and to give voice to people who are voiceless. And it's all very mired in corporate nonsense now, but those things are still happening. People are, you know, putting together their own podcast. They don't have to be as polished to get your message out and to get your voice out. Anyway, so I was having more positive thoughts about nostalgia. I like that. Yeah? Yeah. Did you have any hopefuls or are you just feeling anxiety? I haven't been. I, I thought I wasn't ha- didn't have to answer the question anymore. You don't. I'm just asking. Oh yeah, no. Should I not? Should I not ask? I'll not. I cannot ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the hole. Oh. <laughs> Dan, help! Help! Stop going! Don't go to your Zoom meeting, Dan. I'm in the hole. I need help. I'm above the hole, and I'm looking down, and I'm saying no. That's a fair boundary. <laughs> <laughs> um, want to hear this interview? Yeah. OK, 
Okay, well, this is really interesting. I had a, I had a chat with um, Bruce Hunter, actor, teacher, writer, creator. Excellent. And been, been meeting to talk to him for a while, and we finally figured out how to do it now that no one can be in the same room. <laughs> cool. Right. All right. Um, I hope you. I don't know. I hope the country just deals with this well. Yeah. I hope everything just works out. I hope everything works out. We never have to think of this again. Okay, bye. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) Hi, everybody. It's Becky. I'm back, and I'm here and not here with the wonderful Bruce Hunter. Hello, Bruce. Hello, Becky. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not bad under the circumstances. I'm pretty good. Yeah, are yeah. you good? Am I good? Did yeah, we just say that think, out of... Did we? Um, yeah, I think... Uh, well, I think things are pretty good. Um, you know, I know things are bad for people and they're scared and stuff, but I feel uh, I feel pretty pretty good. I mean, I've gone through a lot of shit in the last little while, so... Yeah. You know, staying home a lot, so this is really not new for me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, um, so. I'm getting that from a lot of artists in general, and then... And then they realize how, I mean, I don't want to speak for you in this case, but they're like, no, no, this is what my normal life is like. And then it hits you that it isn't. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially moments. when you have to go outside and not audition, you know, not go, <laughs> yeah. not f- figure out how you're going to get some work. Um, you know? I realized that I, I put on makeup randomly one day with nothing to do and I hate putting on makeup. So I was like, oh, <laughs> something's <laughs> off. Um <laughs> You find yourself walking outside, going somewhere, and then go, where am I going? Just, um, just put on yeah. makeup and squish yourself up against the window and pretend it's television. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, let's um, let's introduce you. Who are you? What do you do? What's your sort of deal? My deal? Um, yeah, dude. What's your deal? Well, I'm, a, um, I'm from Calgary originally. Um, I was... Uh, I studied... Um, improvisation and mime and uh, that kind of stuff. Worked at Second City for teaching for 27 years, uh, teaching improvisation. have a comedy troupe called Illustrated Man. We've been around doing shows since 1984, um, and we're still doing stuff. We wrote a book a little while ago, an improv book. It's amazing. And, um, you know, just using improv t- techniques to write the book, you know, accepting offers and, you know. Right, not an improv it. manual, like how to say no, yes. No, not how yeah. to improvise, no. Right. Um, although I'm, I am writing a book about improv because, uh, you know, I've, I have made some observations over the years. and You uh, know what? And I personally w- would, I don't say this lightly, I would recommend that book and I would be interested in reading it. And I don't like a lot of books on the topic of improv. Uh, but I'd be okay. very fascinated to hear what you had to say. Oh, well, uh, let's see. Am I recording? I think I am. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I, also, I mean, the book wouldn't be just the improv. It would also be, um, you know, about my experiences as, as an actor and, you know, some of the things that, that I've observed over the years. Philosophy being, a little uh, bit? A little, yeah, quite a bit of that. I, I, would, I would expect no less, and that's what I'd like about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I you know, this is what I liked about Keith Johnstone's book. When he, you know, at the beginning, he sort of has notes on himself. Oh, really? So for those for those listening who aren't as improv nerdy as me and Bruce, that's like Impro and Impro for Storytellers. They're two really seminal Canadian books on improvisational theater. Anyway. Yeah. But he yeah. talks about himself off the top? Yeah, he has notes on himself. So he sort of talks about, you know, about his 
who he is and, and some of the things that I think that he's noticed about himself and a lot of things that we all kind of relate to because we're mm-hmm. all like, oh, I kind of do that. you know. Honestly, the writing of that book, there's both of those books is fantastic. And I read them when I was so young, I didn't quite understand how impressive it was that they're like, they're like conversational books. Yeah. And they're easy to read. They're not very big. And they're not they very technical. Sort of, no, and they kind of nail, you know, you get it from the book. You know, you kind of understand the, the theories behind, you know, what he's talking about. You know, it's not a big book like uh, Viola Spolin's book, you know. Yeah, which reads like stereo instructions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's called, what's, that, what's that one called? <laughs> improvisation it, for the theater. Improvisation for the, yeah, it's like, it's like sort of schematics of exercises. I found that one always yeah. very hard. Although that one really breaks it down, it tells you, you know, in those books, it tells you what's the uh, point of focus, you know, like what you're what you're trying to achieve or what this is about, which is great if you're teaching. It's uh, written for, because, yeah, it's like, it's like a, it's like what you'd get as a teacher's manual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good book. But that one goes back, you know, much further than Johnstone's book. Yeah. Johnstone's work also seems more intuitive, like he... F- he's having experiences and wants to communicate them to you. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Um, yeah, I, yeah. You've also actually, you've really integrated teaching and performance. I remember your shows, the workshop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that I, 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 I did that for, for a number of years. We used to do it at the Tim Sims playhouse. Yeah. That's where we started doing it. And, uh, and that was, um, Basically, like directed improv, which is what Keith would do in his early days when he was teaching. Because it was, you know, when I joined um, Loose Moose, there was they were looking for new teams. They were trying to put new teams together because they had the regular teams, the Moosets, and they had, uh, you know, the um, just like maybe four teams, you know, that were constantly playing each other. So they were trying to create new teams. That, and so um, I was on one of these. Um, one of these new teams, um, there was like three of it. We're called Mel's Angels because Mel Tonkin was the artistic <laughs> director. He was a dentist that also did improv. And so that's, uh, the, that's what's great about improv. You've got like morticians in the mix and stuff. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> which is what, the way I like teaching early on at Second City because we used to have butchers and all people, yep. kinds of, you know, regular people coming to take the classes. And I, I thought it was far more interesting and also um, – more rewarding because these people were learning something that was totally out of left field to them. Well, and also they were bringing into a performance space perspectives that, you know, improv needs that. It needs people with information, um, not just to have studied how to be an actor and how to fake stuff. Yeah, because I found years later when when Second City realized how much money they could make off of these, because they didn't care at the beginning. I mean, there was only, it was Alan Gutman and myself and, uh, you know, maybe uh, Deborah Kimmett was one of the early um, directors there, one of the teachers there. There wasn't very many people. So there was only like a, a scattering of three or four of us at the most. But at that at that point, they didn't care, right? Like they just didn't really think about it. But then much later on, they got into realize, oh, we could make money off of this. And then they, they got their fist in there and started screwing with it. And, <laughs> and basically, um, you know, where people had to do many classes or they got sent back to do another level and all this kind of crap. And, you know, and, and then it became mostly about actors wanting to get into second city and not teaching people how to improvise because, you know, it's a skill that can be used in 
you know, any lifestyle, really. And also, yeah, and also if you take the pressure off, people from different worlds can end up being performers. But also, but but Bruce, you and I are not really good capitalists, right? Like, <laughs> no, no, that's so true. we might need someone in the mix to help help us pay bills. I don't know. No, it's true. I, and I didn't really feel right about it. I mean, eventually I left because I just didn't like what they were doing with the classes. I didn't think it was, it was, um, it was helpful. I mean, they would hold people back and, and they've created a hierarchy, which is yeah. something I, I liked about the classes when they first started. I mean, a lot of, a lot of institutions, teaching institutions were trying to do what Second City was doing. You know, because Second City, you know, one of the things that you would do, which I always loved, was, you know, you'd get suggestions and you'd go backstage and then you'd write. You'd learn how to write within a few minutes and yeah. come up with some ideas, some who, what and where's. And, and uh, but with Illustrated Men, we would improvise, you know, just get people to give us suggestions. We'd write them on the wall and then we'd just go for it. It was just free form. And uh, eventually, after a while, we ended up with material that we could always revisit so we ended up writing tons of material that we could visit at any time and um, and then would use that stuff and you know develop scenes or whatever but it was sort of a reverse engineering rather than writing a sketch and working it out we were improvising the sketch and then we'd write it yeah you know so which is how second city kind of does it and we kind of like that you know so you guys you said you've been together since 1984 yeah. Um, what are the names of the other two guys? Uh, it's Adrian. David Huban uh-huh. and uh, Adrian Truss. And th- that's um, a collaboration that's going to be older than some of the people who listen to this podcast. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah, I'm yeah. just a few years older than that. But um, <laughs> what's that like? That's unusual to be together for that long. Well, I think you got to like the people that you work with, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Adrian, you know, we'd all worked at Second City at one point and, you know, I, I I quit because, you know, they sent us out to London at one point and told us, oh, you know, we're just sending you to London, but we're going to bring you to main stage. Right. And so they sent me to London. We opened the company there um, and we had, you know, and... and by the we way, we're talking, great shows. we're talking we're talking London, London Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, London, <laughs> let's be, Ontario. Let's be clear. Which has long been closed. It became a it became a yuck yucks for a while and then it, it eventually closed up. But yeah. Um but uh yeah, we would we would do shows and then they would, you know, drag us from there to main stage. Well, they kind of overlooked me. They they said, Well, you know, they kept leaving me there and I said, Okay. Adrian went to main stage. And, uh, and which was okay, you know, even though I was in this particular company a bit longer, he'd worked for Second City a lot longer. He'd worked in, in Edmonton with Second City. So oh, yeah, another one that's know, closed. Yeah, another one that would close. But then, uh, so they took him to main stage and then I was expecting that I was going to be brought there and then they, they decided to go with somebody else. Because I wasn't a guy that um, I would say what I thought, which, you know. Yeah, if you, you want to you, get ahead, you, you can't you say what you think, you know. Um, <laughs> so I say what I think. And uh, eventually they didn't bring me. So I said, okay, well, that's it. I quit. See you later. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain. So I'm gone. See ya. Bye. Were you, were you angry? So, well, I was just upset that they didn't yeah. hold up their end of the deal. I mean, they, I didn't move out to London to be stuck in London for more than a couple of years. Forget it. I didn't want to do that. So I yeah. said, well, you didn't hold up your end of the deal. So I'm gone. So I I quit. I said, well, I said to Lind, who was the producer, I said, um, 
well, I'm going to finish writing this show and then, and then I'm going to leave. And she says, oh, that's not good enough. And I said, oh, so what are my options? Either I leave now or stay forever. Is that what you're telling me? And she said, yeah. And I went, okay, well, I'm leaving now. So I, I quit um, at Second City. And, um, and uh, eventually I, when I came back, because I was already teaching there, I started theater sports in London when I was there. Because right. they'd never seen it before. So I started. They were still doing theater sports. I left, came back to Toronto, and started teaching at Second City instead of uh, doing the shows. And and um, so, yeah, I had a sort of an unusual relationship with Andrew. And, I mean, I liked him, and he kind of liked me. But um, at one point, we were doing a show, and <clears throat> you know, we wrote a scene called... Um, Adrian Truss and I uh, did a scene called uh, Salmonella Toad, which we still do to this day. Okay. Um, because it's, uh, I play like um, this woman that talks like this, you know, and they're married and <clears throat> and uh, he's just really abusive and a horrible person. And, oh my God. And, uh, and she's uh, abusive in the way that he just doesn't, you know, really care that much about, <laughs> you know, and she's like this sweet thing, you know. So we wrote this thing and it was very funny, the audience thought it was hilarious and um i think alan uh i think i can't remember who the director was but uh michael gelman was the director so <clears throat> you know um we did our show andrew was there and he gave notes to the uh, to the director and then um the director told us uh we're gonna cut that scene and i'm like why would we do that it's it's a huge audience thing they people love it He's going, oh, well, we've got women. We got women. We don't need men dressing up like women. I said, well, you didn't pay attention because he says in the scene, I come home and what do I find? A man dressed as a woman. You know, so it's not, he's not a woman. He's a man dressed as a woman. You know, that's how ridiculous this thing is. I'm so confused by this scene. I don't think, (laughs) wait, what? What's going on here? So he, um, so they said, we're going to pull the scene. And I was like, I got mad and I, ran downstairs before he left and I got so I yelled at him I said you don't know the first fucking thing about comedy and I picked up a chair and I went to throw but I wasn't gonna throw it at him and I threw it into the chairs I was so pissed off at him Bruce um yeah I was I thought you were an idiot and uh so every time he'd see me after that for a little while he'd go to pick up a chair because he thought it was kind of funny he was gonna throw a chair at me Okay. So we had an odd relationship, but, um, I mean, he still respected me and, you know, he still liked what I did, but he just, you know, he, it was a power struggle, you know, but since then, you know, we've been doing uh salmonella toad for our own company do and you it's think, a huge hit. So do you think that you've become more angry or less angry as you've gotten older? I think less, um, but I've certainly been able to control my anger a lot more. Yeah. You know, because when I was a kid, you know, they were, and I was born a redhead, right? So, you know, being a redhead, you know, they were always say, oh, he's got that redhead temper. And that would make me more mad. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, and I'd get even more pissed off. I do you know, know a lot of you know? angry redheads. Actually, I know some very calm redheads too. Like, I guess like anyone. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it just got to the point, you know, eventually when I, I went to the school of philosophy and I did all that, I became much more connected and uh to what my world was like and the and the power that i had you well, know you're, how you're I also could. a very spiritual person as far as i know 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I, I, I believe in a higher entity in a sense. You know? What brought you to that? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if it was, you know, I had some interesting experiences when I was growing up. You know, I remember as a very small child um, being in my bed and feeling myself moving out of my body. You know, like, I mean, it sounds so odd, but I found myself shifting, like floating away above from my body. Uh-huh. And it was such an odd experience. It was such a, it was, it felt otherworldly. Even as a child, I could kind of try to comprehend it. And I just felt it was very ethereal. You know, it was a very weird feeling. And so I kind of knew that there was something a bit more going on than, than the tactile world, you know? Like from a young um, age, you felt from a very, that. Yeah. And I'd heard about other people, you know, later on in my life, I'd read about other people that had had these experiences and, you know, became healers and all this other stuff. I mean, I didn't know that that was what was going on. And I certainly, you know, I was frightened enough that I would pull myself back from it, you know. Um, but Have you did, ever just let yourself go? I, I've tried to reconnect to that. And I've had a, a difficult time <laughs> getting back to that yeah. feeling, you know, but I do remember it and, uh, and it had a big effect on me, you know, so. It feels like right now things are sort of, we're having a lot of introspective time mm-hmm. um, and scary times um, and kind of disruptive times that I feel like a lot of people are, something's shifting on a spiritual level or psychic level or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um. What do you think about that? How are you feeling right now? Well, I think um, I do believe that that's, you know, I, I believe that there is kind of an awakening going on and uh, that we are, that every few thousand years we uh, go to another level of consciousness. Really? I, yeah, I think so. I, I think that we are um, collectively um, moving into a higher level of consciousness. I think it's it's like evolution. Everything has to eventually shift. Nothing stays the same uh, forever. You know. Where, where are you getting this from? Like, is this from somewhere? Or is it instinct or? Well, uh, part of it is is instinct, but part of it is stuff that I've read about. You know, um, I got involved in in you know UFOs and that kind of stuff. Right. You know, I, I think. Last time that we had talked, we sort of briefly spoke about it a little bit. But, uh, yeah. you know, when we had the big blackout here <clears throat> in Toronto, uh, on the East Coast, basically, a huge blackout back in, I can't remember what the year was. But um, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, you can actually see the stars, you know. And <laughs> and uh, yeah. everything was dark, and you'd see the streetcars that had stopped on the street. They looked like, you know, walk around the streets with a flashlight, and you'd Everything was dark, and then all of a sudden you'd stumble onto a streetcar that had just stopped on the road because there wasn't any power. The blackout shared shared feelings like this time. Yeah. Like sort of disruption, but also like peace in a way. It was peaceful in a way. Yeah, I think it was a real, there was no noise. Mm-hmm. The sound, of, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. And like I said, you know, people could see stars and stuff. And I told my mother about it, and, and she had said, oh, well, the last time they had a blackout, she goes, when she lived in the Laurentians, where my brother and sister were born, she says, last time they had a big blackout on the East Coast, they blamed it on aliens. 
Who's and they? I thought, like everyone? Well, Just the, the public. It was in the news. It was all over. This is in the 50s. Yeah. Like, late 50s. Everything was UFOs back in those days, mm-hmm. you know, because they couldn't figure out what these lights in the sky were and, and, you know, and all the stuff that was happening over Washington with these things are floating over the sky in Washington, you know. So they were finding all of these, a lot of people reporting these UFOs flying over. She says they, re- they blamed it on aliens. <clears throat> you know, and I sure enough, I looked it up and, yeah, there was tons of articles. And I, I basically opened up a Pandora's box so, and, and thought to myself, why aren't people talking about this? I mean, this stuff is everywhere. I mean, look at all this all this evidence. Some of it is fake because people fake it. But there's a lot of stuff out there that's not fake that people are, you know, should be questioning. And yet nobody really knows about it or thinks about it, you know, because they just poo-poo it. You know, so the, how do aliens... Line. How do aliens um, relate to spirituality or awakenings for you? <laughs> well, you know, once you go into that ethereal world, a lot of that stuff is kind of connected in a, in a way. You know, there's there's always the question of, well, if, if I mean, even the Pope came out a number of years ago and said, well, you know, oh, right. if aliens <laughs> exist, you know, they're still a God's creature. You know, I mean, for... Did he for say, the, like, if aliens <laughs> exist, Jesus still loves them or something? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, that, was a you, big, that was a big one for, um, like, UFO alien people. Well, sure. I mean, a lot of people were kind of surprised. I mean, you know, when you think of the history of the Catholic Church, I mean, they were, you know, they were... They were upset that people were looking out into the stars. I mean, you know, look what happened to the, you know, one of the guys that developed the, the telescope. You yeah, know? but also like angels shoot down from outer space and like bless the baby Jesus. So that's like an alien. I don't know. <laughs> well, if you if you look up, um, because I know a lot of this stuff now because I've been reading a lot of this stuff. But I mean, if you look up um, art in uh you know alien in art and you'll see all kinds of stuff like that you know there's there's paintings frescoes and stuff of these flying ships in the sky yeah and and with beams coming out onto the baby jesus i mean these things were painted in in the 14th century so you know where did where did those ideas come from you know like why do why is somebody painting a a spaceship floating in the sky in the 14th century, you know, with a beam coming down on the baby Jesus, you know, so what, you know, I mean, even, even Columbus and stuff, they saw, they saw stars and things flying around in the sky. You know, there's many, 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 you know, historical parts of that, that just don't make any sense at all. Bruce, I knew you would turn yeah. my podcast into Coast to Coast. <laughs> I love Coast to Coast. I love Coast yeah. to Coast too. Driving yeah. through uh, my memories of it, if anyone doesn't know, um, it's a radio show, chats and like conspiracy, strange events kind of thing. It was, And it was hours yeah. long, right? It was like, yeah, maybe it's right. still on, but I used to listen with Art Bell when I lived in Northern California. Art Bell, yeah, he was great. Oh, he yeah. was amazing. Just driving through, like driving alone in my 78 Buick Skylark through like <laughs> the Redwood Forests, listening to oh, stories about Sasquatches and stuff. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that doesn't, that's not too far uh, out of the, you know, I mean, it's, you know, for anyone to think, oh, well, that would never happen. I mean, why? I mean, the yeah. universe is pretty expansive. I mean, all kinds of things go could go on, you know. So or, do you think aliens are like are like um, super evolved humans, interdimensional? Do you have any thoughts in that direction? 
Well, I, I remember reading, there was a thing called the Rendlesham Forest yep. right, uh, event. I don't know if you ever heard about that. But By it was the way, about these... I'm not a huge believer. Right. Absolutely. But I have read so many of these. I, yeah, I know. Yeah. I love these stories. But uh, the Rendlesham Forest is um, a place in uh, England. And uh, there was a there was a um, <clears throat> installation there of nuclear um, bombs, you know, nuclear um Right. missiles and um one day they get a report from the from the front desk you know these security guys are saying there's these things floating over in the sky these these big discs floating in the sky so these they're like what so they they go out there one of the guys that goes out there uh is you know one of the majors on the on the on the um, site and he's he's got a little recorder and he's recording what he's seeing so you can listen to him do an audio Tape oh, really? of of what he's seen and this thing is floating in the forest but doesn't you know, they, don't they, they go and eli goes and touches it and it gives him knowledge or something yeah well they <clears throat> these guys were um you know they they basically put these reports in and this happened over a number of days i mean these things were coming in and out over a number of days but um he was one of the guys that went in there and uh one guy touched it and uh and he didn't know that until until they'd hypnotized these guys. Yeah. These guys had been hypnotized and um, they'd all been hypnotized and they all shared the same stories, right? Even, you know, that happens a lot with, you know, um, cases where guys are out camping and they see this light come down and then they, they lose hours, hours go by and they don't know what happened, you know, and then they hypnotize them and they all basically tell the same story, you know. But um, he had he had like touched the thing and then like he was like wrote a bunch of numbers down in his a journal yeah, or something like that, he got that a was message. Another guy, yeah, there was another guy. Um, I mean, in the, in the Rendlesham Forest case, the guy said that <clears throat> he said they're us from the future, right? And they've come back, you know. Um, but there's another guy that was with his wife traveling, and they saw this thing flying beside them, and then before they know it, they're in another town. Right. So they lost all this time and they don't know how they got there. Um, and he would wake up in the middle of the night writing zeros and ones down. Yeah. He was writing like, you know, code binary, binary code, yeah. binary, binary code. And then they they broke down what the binary code was. And it was messages and all this stuff to, you know, to warnings and all this other kind of stuff. about uh, False, false gods and all this other shit that was these guys had written so it's pretty fascinating i mean once you open it up it's a there's so many stories out there and so many um you know cases and pictures and you know how does it feel to explore these things for you does this feel like oh i love this stuff but i mean like i guess i mean like i don't know what would it mean for aliens to exist for you i mean i guess you believe they do well, I do. Yeah. I, you know, I believe that things have evolved. You know, things evolve in lots of different ways. I mean, some of these, as you know, you've looked at it. You know, some of these aliens are—they look like, you know, reptiles, and other ones look like, you know, um, uh, insects. You know what I mean? Like these, these are creatures that have evolved. Some of them look like, like giant. Evolved. Giant Swedish yeah. Swedish people. And... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Blonde, and you know, which is. Nordic, because you know, that's interesting. Because there's a whole German uh, connection to, you know, flying saucers and 
you know, they, they, the Germans were, they spent a lot of money and time looking to see <clears throat> what their connection was with the space people. Yeah. Because, you know, there's lots of, lots of cultures that have written about the people from the sky that come down, you know, like if you look at any, you know, the Navajo, you know, they talk about, um, I think it's the Navajo, but they talk about the people living underground, you know, these creatures that are underground and they look like, they look like, um, um, like ants, big heads, big guys, you know, same sort of thing. Uh, and they feel that they've been part of the uh, human experience for, you know, billions of years. Well, it's like, and it's like the Sasquatch from the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. They're also thought mm-hmm. to be potentially interdimensional. Yeah. Well, it's funny because a stories. lot of that stuff that they see, like when somebody starts, if somebody sees UFOs, then they get a, seem to have a lot of sightings of, of Sasquatches. Right. You know, they, they, the, the two things sort of seem to correlate somehow, you know, where there's a lot of that stuff, you know, cow mutilations and all that kind of stuff that's been going on. For yes. What's it called? Skinwalker you know? Ranch or something? Or Yeah. Ugh. Okay. I mean, they're all, they're all very <laughs> bizarre, you know. Uh, just when you think you've heard it all, some <laughs> other thing comes up that is just like, just blows your mind and you're just like, what? You know. Um. But Bruce, you personally have been through some stuff lately. Yes, that's right. I um, I had a stroke uh, in uh, in July. Uh, I was I was directing a show at the Fringe Festival in Hamilton, and the day that we were supposed to go in to do the show, I uh, I uh, had a stroke, so I couldn't I couldn't drive anybody. So. I had to uh, <clears throat> had to bow out, and and they had to kind of find ways to get out there to do the show, uh, and it happened on my mother's birthday, which I thought was very odd. I didn't know that till my sister told me. Oh my god, that's on my mom's birthday, and um, and it was a mild, you know, it was mild. It wasn't mild. Um, I didn't. I wasn't affected physically, except it affected my occipital nerve, which is my eyesight, you know, on the left side, it was, I had a flash in my eyes. And, um, the next thing you know, I'm, um, I can't see, it's like a migraine headache. So I, you know, went to the hospital and they said, Oh, you've had a stroke. In fact, it's your second stroke My gosh. See on the MRI. And I was just like, what? Uh, so I've been, you know, sort of recovering ever since it's getting a lot better than it was, but I still had my strength. I still could talk. I was reciting poetry that I, you know, to make sure that I hadn't lost my memory. You know, right. So I was pretty lucky compared to some people that have had strokes. You know, I kind of walked away um, um, a bit more unscathed than most people. But um, it was a nice morning sun. What did that do to your like perceptions or feelings about life? Well, it certainly made me <laughs> realize that life is fragile. Yeah. You know, that um, one little thing can happen in your body and it can change everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like a blood vein, but they couldn't figure out how it happened. They can't figure out, was there a block somewhere? Did a, did a, did a piece of blood get, you know, go flake off and get stuck in a part of my, you know, in my brain, you know, like what, uh, they can't figure out why it happened. So they, they don't really know why, you know, um, and they've tried everything to try to figure it out, but they can't. So, but it, it makes you, um, become a little bit more connected 
<laughs> does you know? it does it feel at all um, spiritual? I mean, like it's it like does. A... It does. Yeah, I I felt awakened by it. I, to me, it was a blessing in disguise. There was a lot of pressure building up on me. You know, I didn't have. Yeah. <clears throat> I had a friend who had committed suicide a few months before, and um, <clears throat> I felt really bad about that, and felt that I, maybe I could have done something. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I didn't have any jobs. You know, I was trying to. <clears throat> I had a, I worked in a restaurant, you know, um, I wasn't teaching. I couldn't get anybody to take my classes. Hmm. So things were pretty stressful. You know, I was running out of money and, you know, and, uh, and then this thing happened. Uh, and I just felt that there was a huge thing lifted off of me, you know, and, um, and then my, and my life changed from that point, you know, like, um, I, uh, my partner at the time, uh, in, uh, cause I have a company called real space theater. Yeah. Uh, Erica and I, we do these uh, shows in real spaces, you know, write shows in real spaces. Um, yeah. Like we, you've, you've done it. You did the zombie show at the diner and yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, we've been, you know, sort of, uh, on and off again, uh, as lovers and we just ended up really close and, uh, you know, and I sort of. I, I fell in love with her and we moved in together. And so it's been really great since then. Um, That's happened so since that, the stroke? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, it was, it was great. You just sort of also appreciate what life has to offer, you know, with the, your friends and, and people were really good to me and, you know, and, and contacted me and, um, gave me money and, you know, people just wanted to, you know, care for me. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and Erica was there for me, and uh, we've just become really tight, and really close, and uh, and you know, and she's with me now, which is great. I mean, with this whole thing going on, I can't even imagine people trying to live alone. Yeah, you know, trying to be trying to get through all of this shit without having some kind of contact with people. So well, I guess it depends who you live with. Lucky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess. So. And and are you saying that from? Uh, uh, from your own experience no you, you don't have to answer that yeah no i can answer that no i mean my i, I interviewed my husband a few episodes ago on the podcast we're, we're doing pretty fine we certainly oh, have that's good we certainly yeah. have hard days and i think um i think it's important not to like idealize like oh we're perfect nothing's wrong so if if someone's having stress they well, feel yeah. like something's wrong with them yeah. but no i but i certainly during this time and we you know we fight and stuff sometimes yeah. we, and we don't fight i mean we just disagree with things or we get yeah. annoyed with each other you know it's hard not to uh, in under the circumstances, but uh, no, we're a really good team, and uh, yeah, and uh, I'm really happy about that. I mean, that was a really positive thing that changed in my life, and also the Pete, like I said, you know, when you realize how people care for you, you know, when people were writing letters to me and telling me that you know they were, you know, they taking classes with me and I changed their life and that kind of stuff, it just yeah. makes you cry, you know, when you realize you actually people care about you, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so that was a nice, uh, moment of realization. It was an enlightening moment. Uh, my friend who was writing, a, he's, a he's a director and he was, he was doing a documentary on people that have gone through traumatic experiences and how that's changed their lives. And I told him, you know, what had happened to me and how I felt about it. And he says, that's exactly like everybody I've talked to. Everybody yeah. that's gone through these huge dramatic you know, things in their lives all of a sudden have been kind of awakened, you know, and I, I feel it was, uh, 
it was an enlightening experience for me. You know, it, 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 I felt clear. I felt that, you know, something had lifted or shifted and, you know. Well, you touched, you sort of reached out and touched the veil of death there for a second. Yeah. And I have in the past. I mean, I've, you know, being a diabetic and oh yeah, you know, I had a heart condition and, you know. Really? Yeah. I, I, I um, when I was young, I had a, I stood up to, you know, I was probably about, probably about nine or 10 or something. And I was getting ready to bed and I stood up and I collapsed. I couldn't move my legs and they were all, my God. And I didn't know what the hell was going on. And then they, you know, uh, eventually the feeling came back, but they realized that I had a aortic insufficiency. I had a heart valve that was too small. So, um, you know, from that point on, I've had many, many doctors, you know, and then when I was 12, I became a diabetic, you know, my gosh. So I've, I've dealt a lot with the, um, the uh, medical world. Um, even though I've always been kind of not in denial as much as, you know, don't tell me how to live my life kind of deal. You know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to bow down to any of these illnesses. Right. right. Yeah. No, you were just going to pick up a chair and toss it at. <laughs> yeah. Toss it at, uh, the at, at the doctor. What? Why is he always throwing chairs all the time? You That's how he deals sure. with things. You, you have know? to calm down. You have a heart problem. <laughs> yeah. See, all of his chairs in his house are bent, you know, broken. Um, Bruce. Yeah. Do you feel hopeful? <clears throat> I do. I, I'm very hopeful about things about what i mean well i mean even all the stuff that you know i talk about with the aliens and stuff it sounds all frightening and stuff but i mean it's the universe is very expansive you know and i think that we have the power to uh control it or change it in a positive way yeah you know if we put our focus and our attention on that and i believe you know i've I do that in my own life and I think it makes a difference. And I believe that I know I mean, in, in the course of this whole thing happening with the, uh, the COVID thing, I, I, I believe it's, um, I believe it's something that we all have to go through and experience. It's a collective consciousness. It's very collective. Yeah. You know, that's being affected and some people are going to be able to deal with it and other people aren't going to be. But I think in a lot of cases, I mean, everybody that I've talked to, uh, have all been affected, but a lot of them, like I haven't met anybody that's been affected in a negative way. I mean, it's sometimes, well, I can't go out and get my food or, but that doesn't, that's not what I'm talking about. Well, and people are talking dying. About, well, a lot of people are dying. Yeah. I mean, but I think it's affecting also people's awareness of other people. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, I mean, you, you probably wouldn't have cared too much about people dying before. You right, just people, pass were dying, over. people were dying of the flu every year. Yeah, or people wouldn't even know that there would be people, unless it was somebody in their immediate circle, they wouldn't know or care, really, because people were dying all the time. But now I think people are now aware of it because you're hearing these numbers, you're just much more conscious of how this can affect anybody, you know? And people and think, people were dying in horrible ways, like the migrant crisis and things like that. And it really was I, one of the reasons I started this podcast was all of these issues like that were floating around and it felt just hopeless, like unfixable. Yeah. This is proving that we can do things collectively on a gigantic scale. Yeah. And I think it's it. there's a lot of um, growing pains in things that happen like this, you know, right. where... 
people don't really know what to do. They've all of a sudden now had to shift their consciousness a little bit and try to figure out how to deal with this. And I think that's making people think more and not just be moving forward in this world that's been this world that's been created for us from years ago. I mean, we're living in, in dead people's dreams, you know, like they, they, wow. the people that are dead now have created a world that we're now living in, you know? I mean, if you look at any building, a lot of the people that built that building, if it's over 30, 40 years old, could are dead. Like if they were, you know, 35 years old and they built this building in the 1940s, they're all gone. Right. And yet now we're living in these constructs. And and I don't mean just... Yeah, we're living in the figurative buildings that they constructed as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the ideas of things that we should be thriving for, we're living in that now, you know? So these are things that are, these are past ghosts that we're kind of living in, you know? And I think we have to um, we have kind to, of be more aware of being in the moment. We have to sort of ex exercise, exorcise some of the yeah, exactly the, ha the like, hauntings. <laughs> exactly what what you know that's living in somebody's idea of what society should be, as opposed to the people that are actually living in society. I always wonder what it would have been like back in when the Egyptians were building these big structures, the people that would be living around that area, they'd be like, Oh no, the banging still the banging. <laughs> when are they going to get this thing finished? You know? Oh good. The, al the aliens came down and helped. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Great. Thank it's done. God, <laughs> they, they came down and they helped float those big uh, stone structures into place. Um, you know, um, Bruce, but yeah, we have, to, we have to stop talking. It's been so long. I know. It's been a long time now. This isn't coast to coast. Um, <laughs> right. we'll, we'll have you back on. Who? Where can people find your book? Oh, yes. It's on uh, Blurbed. Uh, there's two books. There's the book of um, Illustrated Men's Book of Letters, which is um, uh, uh, letters that we've written back and forth with each other that tell eight different storylines, and they get very elaborate. Uh -huh. um, I think there's uh, there's even aliens in that, but um, <laughs> Good. which is pretty funny, um, and uh, and there's bats in that one too, which is kind of odd. And then um, the, the, there's another one called the book of Illustrated Man's Book of Illustrations because I illustrated the book uh, into drawings. So it's um, and that one can be got uh, can be got. <laughs> yeah, it can be got. I, I should learn my language. Um, it's blurb.ca is one of them. And the other one is, uh, I can't remember now. We'll, we'll find it and we'll post links. Yeah. Okay. Um, Great. I mean, I could keep talking for another hour, but I just don't know how long people have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I don't really have a lot to say, but uh, oh, I don't believe do talk that. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank yeah. you so much, Bruce. Thank you, Becky. I'm glad that, uh, we got to hook up. Yeah, That's me great. too. Okay, stay safe. All right, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The H Word Podcast is happy to be part of the shop. Follow the shop on Instagram at the underscore shop to. Artwork this week by Shannon Gerard and our theme music, as always, by Laura Barrett. For information on all our artists and guests, please follow us everywhere at the H Word Pod or sign up for our newsletter at thehwordpod.com. Oh.